0: Welcome to the Treatment Marketing Podcast, where we share what's really working to generate admissions consistently and ethically, so you can help more people escape addiction. If you're ready to grow your senses, let's get started. Now that we're three episodes in, I'm thinking more about the raison d'etre for this podcast. The reason why I'm putting this all into an audio record, and one of the big impetuses, impetai for starting this podcast was just the fact that there were no other resources like this. If you search the internet for treatment marketing, you're going to find troves and troves of branded garbage. And it's not even like the content marketing in other industries. For instance, if you were to search digital marketer or John Loomer's blog or any of a ton of other things, they're at least operating from the standpoint that they need to give you a ton of value and a ton of actionable tips and advice before you're going to consider hiring them. The current information out there for treatment marketers is very, very shallow on actual value and really, really hard-hitting with the branding. And It feels like it's 1994. So I don't want to get too deeply into that. Because the reason for this particular episode... And the more I do this, the more I'll be discussing something through for you guys. And then a sub-point will percolate in my mind. And I'll want to dilate on that a little bit. So that's exactly what happened in episode 2 we were discussing what's actually working and where the industry is headed. And it was sort of a state of the union for treatment advertising. So one thing struck me when I was reading through the responses from some of the other reputable agency owners I reached out to in preparation for that episode. And that was my buddy Nick over at Circle Social had written, Treatment providers don't think Facebook marketing works. Two contradictory things characterize the treatment industry's approach to social marketing. If you recall my podcast from the previous episode and my conversations with center owners and many of my colleagues in the marketing space, one thing that's universally agreed or almost universally agreed ...amongst center owners is that social marketing does not work. It doesn't work to produce actual results like qualified leads or admits. And there's a high level of cynicism around the industry about that. On the other hand, you have a situation where... hundreds of centers are spending four figures, five figures or more... ...on Facebook ads... So an interesting thing happened last April, which is that in response to all the Cambridge Analytica stuff and Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress, Facebook unveiled a bunch of transparency measures. And among them was the ability to go to anyone's or any business's Facebook page and see the ads that they were running. So, naturally, we at Admit Scout, because we specialize in Facebook ads, we wanted to see the ads that everybody else was running. So, if you guys are listening to this, you know there's not a huge number of out of network residential treatment centers with the budgets to run web advertising. There are a few hundred, maybe five to seven hundred. And it's a small community. We have a list of everybody. Like, essentially, if you're a player, In this industry, everybody knows everybody. So Upshot, we did an inventory of literally every Facebook campaign in the industry. So maybe there are some underground players who we haven't heard of, but pretty much if you're on LinkedIn, if you're in the industry groups, and you're running campaigns on social, we've seen your campaigns. And I wrote an article about this, but with Literally exceptions I can count on one hand, many of them, either our campaigns or the campaigns of some of our colleagues who actually do do good work in the market, every single one of the campaigns we saw was hot trash. And how do we know that these campaigns were garbage? Because they were all doing a certain style of ad funnel. And it's a style that we experimented with. Last fall and winter, we spent thousands of dollars of our own money to run campaigns to make sure that our funnel worked. We tested a bunch of different incarnations, and among them was the two incarnations I'm going to speak to you about in the ensuing segment, which practically everyone else in the industry was running. And I'll spoil the punchline. They're great at producing calls. They produce 100% Medicare and Medicaid calls. So just to loop back around one more time, you've got an industry where most everybody you talk to is cynical about the efficacy of social ads. But at the same time, you've got a lot of the top players spending tons and tons of money on the platform. I don't want to delve into why on this podcast. We spoke about that a little bit in the last episode. I think call volume's a big thing. Tell me I'm wrong, but this is sort of the canard I want to float, is that no marketing manager in treatment has ever been fired for producing call volume. It's sort of an adaptation of the old McKinsey cliche, which is no one was ever fired for hiring McKinsey. So CYOA, if you're spending money on various platforms, you might as well throw 50 grand at Facebook just for branding, get some calls, you get that call volume, A problem, of course, is that it's not producing any actual results. So, you know where I'm headed. What if there was a better way? What if there was a way to have that ad spend go toward producing actual qualified inquiries and boosting your census? So, now in the second half of this episode, I want to talk to you about exactly what most of these campaigns are doing and why they're producing almost exclusively Medicare and Medicaid calls, and what you, if you're a smart player, can and should do differently. I wrote an article about most of the ads you see on Facebook, which I'll link to from the show notes for this episode. But as I said before, they're all one of two styles. At the top, in terms of the ad, what actually a user sees on Facebook The photos vary, sometimes they're videos, usually they're photos, but almost always it's some kind of generic copy. It tells you nothing about the specific center, what makes them different, does nothing to go out and meet the people where they are. It's always just some palaver like, it's not your fault, or nobody hates escaping from addiction. So the copy's bad, but that's not the worst part of it. When you click on these ads, you're going to go to one of two places. So probably slightly the more common destination is you'll land on a homepage with a phone number. Okay, great. Homepage. And by the way, we'll talk about this in a subsequent episode, but I think literally the same people are writing copy for all these websites and they're not copywriters. We'll talk about how to actually write copy for your viewer rather than yourself. You know, hint. Don't make it about you. (laughs) But so we think, okay, website, phone number, what's wrong? All right. So there's a phone number. They're going to get calls. As we discussed, they're going to be mostly Medicare and Medicaid calls. And I'll tell you why in just a sec. So that's species one. Species two is the same generic ho-hum copy and creative in the ad itself. But then you click through and there's a lead form. What's called a lead form. And you've probably seen this on Instagram, too. And all that means is that within the platform, Instagram or Facebook, they're all sort of the same shared platform. You go to a second page that might have some meta text about the center. We help so-and-so recover from acts. Click to continue. So then you click to continue. And then it's got everything filled out for you, auto-populated, your name, your email address. All you need to do is enter in your number. And then you click to get someone to contact you. So you're thinking, well, what could possibly go wrong? Again, Medicare and Medicaid calls. So so these are campaigns that are optimized to produce call volume and extremely low call quality. So now let's talk about why these type of campaigns don't work and what to do instead. Here's a little detail when we think about the type of people who comprise a qualified lead for an addiction treatment center. When you think about who's going to be a qualified lead for your center, and for the centers we work with, there's some in-network, but it's mostly out-of-network PPO, insurance policies, or self-pay. That's not super uncommon in the country. As I believe a colleague wrote, more than 50% of people in the country have some sort of PPO insurance, either through a family member or through their employer. But one thing that characterizes this group is that they're a little bit higher economic status, they've got a little bit of means, and they tend to be a little bit quote-unquote higher functioning. When some of these centers run creative that's got the photo of the junkie crouched in the alleyway, this is not the people you're trying to reach, obviously, right? When that person calls you, that person, and it's tragic, it's tragic and we want to help everybody too, but those folks mostly are going to have Medicare and Medicaid. And thank God, it's it's great that we have those systems. I won't get political, but there are resources available to them. But when we want to fill our centers and boost our census, again, we're primarily looking for private PPO or self-pay. What about the ads and creative that most of these centers and agencies are running is selecting against the quote-unquote high performers, the people of slightly greater means, the people with the PPO insurance, and selecting for desperate people who, lucky for them, have state or federal insurance but are going to have better luck going to a center that their insurance recommends. So here's the thing about people who aren't desperate, people with jobs, people with resources. They like to shop around. Think about the last time you bought a home appliance. Let's just say a microwave or a food processor. Did you see an ad on Facebook for some sort of generic, not particularly great looking cuisine art knockoff and just click and spend your money? No, of course not. Once you knew what you wanted, you spent some time shopping around. And the folks we're trying to attract, the the people we want to help, if we're residential treatment centers, are going to do research. They want to look into things before they make a decision. As well, they should. It's them, it's their family member. This is not a decision to be taken lightly. And by the way if we're doing our jobs well in the treatment industry, we should want them to do research because if we're the better center, that's going to come out as a result of that research. But just file that in the back of your mind, and especially on social, because AdWords, you're doing search. So someone's already writing into Google, best opiate treatment, Knoxville, Tennessee. Whereas on Facebook, no one's searching anything. So we're catching them a little bit earlier in their journey of realization that they need help. Just file that away. You would want to do research. So next, imagine that you see one of these ads that takes you directly to a home page with a phone number or else without giving you any information takes you to a lead form where you're supposed to enter in your phone number. And literally the only thing you know about this center is that they say that they're a center and that someone's running ads on Facebook for them. You've never heard of them before that. How likely are you going to be to want to check into this spot or send your family member there? At the very least, you're going to click away from that homepage or lead form. You're going to type them into Google. You're going to read a bunch of reviews. And you'll probably choose another spot that's a suggested one with more stars. You know who is going to click on those and pick up the phone or submit their number to get called back by an admissions representative? Somebody who's desperate. Somebody who, in the middle of the night, they're at the end of the rope, something resonates with them, they think, you know, why not? And for a long time, when we were experimenting with that type of ad, that's what would happen, is we would get tons of Medicare and Medicaid submissions. And it was really tragic, because... The folks we were working with would have to call him back and tell them we're sorry, we're not able to take that. We would hope that they would refer them to someplace great who could help them. Most of the folks we work with did. So we know that the ads that most centers are running are going to be selecting for these tragically unqualified folks. But what I want to leave you with is that ever since we developed the system to do it better, we've been getting qualified insurance leads profitably for our clients. And here's the thing. It's not that difficult. You might think, oh, okay, if someone's going to do research, there needs to be a world of difference. They need months and months of exposure to us. We need to have been featured on Dr. Phil, whatever it is. And truthfully, it's not really that. Of course, we're reputable players who do our jobs well and hire qualified folks and actually produce great outcomes. But in order to advertise the best way to appeal to people who want to do a little more research, there are a couple of shortcuts. I'm going to give you two two of our hacks, two of the reasons what we found. And it's certainly not unique to us when you talk about other industries, but it is unique to us in treatment for some reason. (laughs) I guess because people like wasting money. So the first is a little more intuitive and then the second is going to surprise you. So here are the two crucial things you need to do in order to appeal to that higher performing crowd. The people with jobs, the people who are going to do research, the people who aren't just going to send themselves or their family members to a treatment center that they haven't researched. So number one is be helpful. So you might think that you need a million testimonials on your website or you need a million different accreditations or you need the most luxurious facility, and none of that's true. One of the treatment centers I really like to shout out is Dr. Kevin Blankenship's Center at Jacob's Ladder. And Netflix recently featured Jacob's Ladder in an excellent documentary called Recovery Boys. And I want to do a whole other podcast about that and perhaps even get Dr. Blankenship on the podcast to talk about that. Because among other things, amidst all the bad press that the treatment industry was getting with John Oliver and the New York Times stuff, it was great to see a counterexample of, no, let's actually look at what it looks like for these people in real life. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but important thing to retain about Jacob's Ladder is that after watching that documentary, and I've had back and forths with Kevin Blankenship, so I know him a little bit already, so I, I already knew that he was running a great program. But after watching that documentary, that would be one of the first places I would think about to go myself or send a family member if I ever had an issue with addiction especially on the East Coast. And they have nothing that's luxurious. There are no tennis courts. There are no pools. This isn't luxury rehab. It's a farm. People work hard on a farm a lot of times during the winter. I think it's in West Virginia. So point being, it's not the luxury amenities that are going to attract people or the accreditations necessarily. But what did we get to do? We got to spend some time with Kevin and his counselors and see what that program was like, go on a little bit of the emotional journey with those people. And that's all it took. We felt like we knew them. We felt like they were family. So how do you do that with the people you're appealing to? And this is one of the keys. So there are two ways. One is with content. So this sounds like a cliche and everybody thinks, oh, I'm already doing content. You've got your umbrella marketing agency doing content for you. So you can rank in Google. Respectfully, that's not the type of content I'm talking about. I'm talking about ultra-helpful content. I'm talking about epic blog articles going really, really deep, resonating emotionally the same way that Jacob's Ladder documentary did. So how do you, How do we do this? And with our clients, we write original content. Sometimes we we aggregate some existing things if they've already got stuff of their research, but we, but we always punch it up and try to put some some really insightful stuff in there that they're not going to see other places. And the key bit about this is that you're not building a relationship with people based on how many accreditations you have, although that's important, or which celebrities have stayed at your facility or how great your chef is. You're building a relationship with them based on you helped them. So by the time they're in a position to make a decision about where to go themselves or where to send the family members, they're going to think about the people that help them already. Okay, so how do we give ourselves the best shot to help people with this content? So I wrote a couple of things down here, and the big one is be specific. A lot of the content I read out there is just generic garbage. It's like the three signs your kid's addicted to marijuana, and it's the same stuff everybody else has written. So we wrote an article about that. We made damn sure that we researched what everybody else was writing and then interviewed a bunch of recovering addicts and asked them, what's no one talking about? So we went way deeper with it. Another thing is find out from your existing clients and your alumni, what's the stuff that was most on their mind? Like if we could have had an hour-long conversation on the phone before you came to treatment, what was the thing that was your most burning question? A lot of people are wondering... If I've never been to treatment before, what's it going to be like? A lot of people are wondering, how do I know if I really have a problem? How do I know if a family member really has a problem? Whatever it is for your audience, you want to try to create that. And so the second thing I have under content here is be genuinely helpful but not pushy. So the other thing I see about most of the content out there in the treatment industry is that it's a couple paragraphs of generic stuff and then immediately it's a push to a phone number. So why is that backfiring? Again, because you haven't helped people. The only thing they know about you is that you want their money. So don't be afraid to be genuinely helpful. Okay, so being helpful is suggestion number one, how to differentiate yourself. And now here's the most surprising one. The other thing that's worked really well for us, and that's the difference about the way we run social ads as opposed to basically a hundred percent of everyone else that runs them in treatment. In other verticals, people are killing it with social ads. It just so happens that in treatment no one is for some reason. And that's just be there longer. So you might be surprised to learn that in marketing, one of the biggest cofactors with a purchase decision, and let's broaden that out to trusting you enough to entrust someone's outcome to you is simple familiarity. So think about it. The last time you made a major purchase decision or a major life decision, how much more likely were you to trust someone or some company who you'd seen around than something that was brand new to you? And we don't have to get that deep into the psychology. I've spent years and years... I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was really curious about this stuff when I first got into direct response. So I spent years, number one, reading a bunch of stuff about psychology. Number two, like paying super close attention to how I felt during sales processes and buying decisions Just sort of use myself as an end of one. But there are evolutionary reasons for this. It's not just out of left field. And one of the folks who talks about it is Dr. Robert Cialdini, author of two great books, Influence and Persuasion. And one of the things Cialdini talks about is that it's evolutionarily adaptive to conduct yourself with members of your own tribe. So when we talk about the history of human beings, hunter-gatherer, whatever, for nine-tenths of our history as a species, we've been in these small groups in these tribes. So the more familiarity you have with someone, the more likely it was that they were an accepted member of the tribe, hence they'd been vetted Etc. Etc. So that's the big secret with that is just familiarity. So how do you achieve that? I have gentle follow-up through both ads and email. So when we do a funnel, we're not just hitting someone with an ad and then immediately taking them to an enrolled decision. Before most people ever see a form, a contact form for your admissions reps, they've had a chance to get familiar with you. And there are a couple species of this. So in some cases, it could be in the very same journey, i.e. they read some content from you and then immediately they have an opportunity to speak to an admissions rep. So they've got a little bit of familiarity. But there are also folks who are earlier in the journey and they're going to take more time to become familiar. So what do we do for them? Email follow-up. So everyone who sees an ad from one of our clients has the opportunity to give their email address in exchange for some of this super helpful content. And I sound like a broken record, but that's not new, although it's relatively new in treatment, and it's certainly new from the standpoint of actually writing useful content. But so after someone opts in with their email address, they're given a first opportunity to contact an admissions representative after you've helped them a little bit. But then it doesn't end there. We send a five to seven email follow-up series, which be still my beating heart, gives them other opportunities to contact you, but is not pushy and is not salesy and is not high pressure. It's helpful and gentle. And I dare say at least 25% of the total qualified leads who contact our clients do so after at least a couple weeks of this email follow-up. So it absolutely does work. So I'm going to end here for this episode. I just wanted to give you guys an overview of why most treatment ads don't work, but why ours do. And this is the most difficult case to make to new prospective clients. Again, because everyone's been doing it so badly for so long in treatment, there's a high degree of cynicism in the industry about whether anything will work, but If you're not taking advantage of the huge power of Facebook and the social media, especially given the fact that now everyone needs to be certified with legit scripts, so you're not going to be competing with illegitimate facilities. Very soon, our Facebook rep tells us it's going to be branded only, so you're not going to be competing with the rehabs.coms of the world either. We still believe that they are the best deal for qualified leads in advertising. And it would be a tragedy if there were folks out there on these platforms who could use your help who are qualified to be patients in your facilities whom you're not reaching either because you don't want to advertise on the social media platforms because you think they don't work or else because you're just doing what most of the other centers and agencies do and throwing money at these garbage campaigns. So I'll leave you with this. If you found this helpful please go on over to our site at admitscoutcom slash podcast to get the resources and show notes mentioned in this episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Treatment Marketing Podcast. To get show notes for everything we mention in this episode, plus free marketing resources, go to admitscout.comslash slash podcast.